Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. My name is Candace Wassell. I'm the pastor here at Faith. It is such a joy to have you visit with us. You are welcome, so welcome in every part of Faith's community. You are welcome to join us in person at worship on Sundays. You're welcome to visit us online. You're welcome in our mission and our fellowship, and most important, you are welcome at the Lord's table. The first reading is from Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Beginning at the 31st verse. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The second reading is from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. Using priestly imagery and references to the Old Testament, the author explains how Christ lived in trusting obedience to God, and so God has made Christ the source of our eternal salvation. Beginning at the fifth verse. Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 12th. Now among those there were who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? 
Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, grace to you and peace from God our and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This week's readings are very abstract and theological in nature. Jeremiah with his covenant talk, Hebrews with the Melchizedek priestly order talk, and Jesus with the Son of Man talk. These are not stories, they're proclamations. They're the sort of texts used to build Christian doctrine, so they are really, really important. But when you're someone like me who loves stories, they're also really difficult, and it's hard to know what to say about these texts. And when that happens, I think of my friend Lynn, who was a superb conversationalist. You were never bored in a conversation with Lynn. She always well, she still always knows just exactly how to keep things going. I used to love when we, you know, we all used to do things like go to parties and things like that. Um, I used to love to bring her because I knew that the pressure would be off of me to make conversation. And uh, I asked her once how she had gotten so good at being a conversationalist. And she said the best advice she was ever given was when you don't know what to say, ask someone a question about themselves. And it actually, it does work. I mean, I'm not just asking you all questions about yourself because I don't know what to say. But it's handy. But that's what I'm going to do with the text today. I'm just going to ask it a question of itself. And that question is, what is God up to? What is God up to in these texts? And what I think God says back is that God is trying to keep us near. God is trying to keep us near. It started out that God tried to keep us near by giving us the commandments, the law to follow. It's kind of like how we spend all of this time teaching our children manners so that when we send them to school, they'll actually have the manners. And it's our way of making sure that the values we have stay near and dear to them. But we all know that that doesn't always work. And if you've ever gotten a call from a principal, you know that your manners don't always hold when they're with a child. Humans stray from laws. It's our nature. So God says he's going to try another way. That's what the Hebrews text is all about. God is going to keep us near by sending us a high priest, one like Melchizedek, which is this Old Testament priest and this is, a, a priest is someone who prays on your behalf, who intercedes from you. That's one of the things I am here to do. I am here to pray for you. A priest keeps talking to God about you even when you have ceased to talk to God yourself. 
And in John, Jesus tells us exactly what this priest is going to look like. Not only is Jesus going to keep talking to God about us, he's going to do the dying for us as well. Because disobedience has a cost. I mean, you didn't let your kiddo completely off the hook after that call from the principal, did you? So Jesus says, I'll pay it. I'll pay the cost. And that's going to change you, he says. And that's when he gets to this really kind of uh, theological language, this really abstract language, and says, I'm going to be like a seed that falls into the soil of your heart and dies and bears much fruit. Well, that's what God is up to in the text. That is our Christian faith in a nutshell. You take these three readings and distill them down, and that is our Christian faith. And most of the time, even when there's no story attached to it, I really do get it. And I've had a couple of really profound moments in my life that ensure that I get this abstract language and I get the doctrines behind it. And I've talked about them a lot up here. My baptism as a child was one of those mountaintop moments. And I had a really transformative dream when I was a young person. And I've had a few other touchstone moments in my life that have carried me along. Moments I knew Jesus was there. And theologians call these moments Christophanies. Christophanies. Christ revelations. Moments people experience the undeniable presence of Christ even when it is not actually Jesus. Like the booming voice in John's text, that's a Christophany. Or the man who showed up and cooked fish on the beach. Didn't look anything like Jesus, but it was Jesus. Or when Daniel in the Old Testament is in the lion's den and the fourth man shows up in the fire, we Christians have long believed that that was Jesus showing up. That's a Christophany. It's a moment that makes all the doctrine stuff, all of that believable because you can actually see and feel Jesus in your life and it fills your faith cup up. But those moments fade, and we get further away from them. And when we do, all these kinds of readings make less sense. Faith is like a ketchup bottle that way. When I was a young lady, I took my very first boyfriend, very first serious boyfriend, I should say, Steve, out to dinner with my parents for the first time. We went to Applebee's. It was very fancy. And uh, he ordered burger and, a burger and fries. And the waiter brings it to the table, and Steve takes, you know, that glass Heinz ketchup cup, points it at his fries, and he gives it one, one smack, right? Nothing comes out. So he gives it a second smack. Still nothing. So finally, he wheels back to, in my mind, is like an ungodly distance back here. <laughs> and he gives it a third hard smack, and this giant glove of ketchup comes pouring out, smothers the whole plate, gets all over his shirt, the whole bottle, I swear, the whole bottle emptied. I ended up marrying that one. Um. <laughs> That's our faith. It gets filled up by these wonderfully profound moments, these mountaintop moments that we all have, right? We all have those that we can point to and say, okay, this is a moment. And you have it, and it's staying put, and then smack, job loss. But you're okay, all right? You can handle that. But then smack, your spouse gets sick. All right, you're still doing okay. Faith is still intact. 
and then smack, loss of a relationship. Faith comes gushing out. You're empty. It's just one hit too many. One push too many. And what do you do when that's where you're at? When try as hard as you might, you just can't feel your faith. And you can't even say, well, at least I believe in this doctrine I've memorized. What do you do? Well, maybe you ask a question of the people in these texts. And if I got to ask a question, it would be to these Greeks. Because these Greeks, at the beginning of John's text, they, they say to Jesus, who, they weren't in the fold of faith, right? At the beginning of this John text, they just say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Sir, we wish to say, see Jesus. We wish to see. We don't know him, but we wish to see him. It's a statement rooted in hope. We hope to see Jesus. We hope to know him. We hope to draw near to him. We hope everything that we have heard about him is true. Brothers and sisters, that's all I've got in those times when the bottle is empty. Hope. That's all I can say when someone asks me about this faith and this life of following Jesus. I hope. I hope it's true. I hope God is in charge of all of this. I hope it's just exactly as Jesus says. I hope Jesus has come to draw us hope. I hope that God has sent a son who will bring us near to him. I hope that somehow the cross of Christ is greater than all of my brokenness. And I absolutely hope that God was, or that Jesus rather, was given the chance to shrink away from all of this, that he considered for a moment the cost and cried out to God and prayed that this cup be taken, and then in spite of all of that, he chose not to. I hope that Jesus looked at the cross and looked at me and somehow in the vast cosmos of possibilities said, for this one, I will intercede. When my bottle is empty and I cannot believe, the best I can do is hope. And what I learned this week is that hope in this faith produces a hope in each other and a hope in otherwise unbelievable things. Now, a few weeks ago, someone posted on my Facebook page, I'm a pastor, anything you say can or will be used in a sermon so I'm just going to apologize to Jim Campbell right now because he came in this week to talk to me. I'm sorry. I can't help it. I love you guys. Y'all inspire me. So Jim stopped by the church the other day, and in the course of our conversation, I asked him how things were going uh, with Habitat for Humanity, the house that you all are working on, and uh, along with, you know, a dozen or other so of folks from faith. He said, things are going good. We're just finishing up this house. And as he was talking about it and talking about his, all his experience with Habitat, a little story just tumbles out of him. And there I am to catch it. <laughs> he tells me about one of the owners 
over the course of his work with Habitat that he has just been particularly inspired by and impressed with. This is a woman who's been through a lot in life, and she's got these kids on her own, and she's working three jobs, and she has worked so hard to partner with the folks at Habitat, working all day and then coming by Habitat at night to help. And things were nearing completion on her particular house. And one evening, as Jim was like the last guy there, and he's tidying things up for the night, he's got the front door open so he can haul out some garbage. And as he's getting ready to do, she walks to the front door and steps in over the threshold. And she looks around at this nearly complete, beautiful, brand new house, And Jim said that the look on her face was just disbelief. Just disbelief. Disbelief, I guess, that this new home was hers. Disbelief that her children were going to get to grow up in this beautiful place. Disbelief that she was going to get to stop paying outrageous amounts of rent for a place that didn't suit their needs or put her children in a good neighborhood. Just disbelief that people, that strangers, Total strangers would be willing to give hours and hours, nights and weekends to building a home for her family that was not their own or a friend of theirs or a family member of theirs or anyone that they knew and not someone who will ever need or expect to be paid back by her. Disbelief. And it is unbelievable. It is unbelievable that Jesus is a seed that dies in our heart and produces fruit. That is unbelievable stuff. Especially when you see everything else in this world. It is unbelievable. But here is my prayer. Lord, when I can't believe it, I hope it all comes from you. I hope you are behind all of it. And I hope you will continue to make these unbelievable things shine light into the darkness and give life to these doctrines we profess and give life to these readings that are so nonsensical because it is the hope that makes us who we are. So help us to hope what we cannot believe. Help us to hope in you and each other. Thanks be to God. Amen. The most valuable message we have to share at Faith is the promise we have in Jesus. We come together every Sunday to share this good news in the reading of Scripture and sharing of Holy Communion. It is these two acts of worship that we learn of the forgiveness, peace, and joy that Jesus has won for us on the cross. These gifts also belong to you, and we hope you will feel welcome to receive them. After we've shared worship together, we trust that we are ready to be sent out into the world to serve our neighbor, and you're welcome to join us in that great work as well. There are so many opportunities at Faith to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. It's what we feel called to do. It's what we're passionate about. Above all, I want to encourage you in your faith. No matter where you're at in your journey with Christ, you are welcome to visit Faith as often as you are able. But whatever you do, keep searching. There is a church family set aside just for you. And I trust the Holy Spirit will place you right where you need to be.